Another pot of coffee is brewing. My third cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, and long-term depression sufferer. In this week's episode, I'm going to take a look at the latest episodes of Lucifer, which as I record this have only been on Netflix for just over three days. I'm also going to talk about my feelings regarding book shaming. Yes, it is a thing. And though I swore I never would, I get a little political when I talk about my mum's cancer treatment. But first, it's time for another instalment of My Dreams Are Fucking Weird. You'll soon realise that I have the ability to recall pretty much every dream I've ever had. I can't remember the last 10 minutes of my day before I go to sleep, and sometimes I can't even remember what I had for dinner the night before, if I actually had anything at all. But dreams, those I remember, and more often than not, they're weird. But then that's because so am I. Just last week, as I record this, not as you're listening to it because it's now September, I moved the furniture in my bedroom around. Since I started to work from home, the room I used as a recording studio has turned into a full-time office, complete with phone line, massive printer, and when I say massive, it takes up half a desk, and also my normal permanent work setup with two screens, massive block, well, massive block, massive tower, mouse, keyboard, and I can't even remember the name of the components, and I used to build them. That's really helpful. So anyway, I decided that if I wanted to record my podcast without external noise that comes from living in a block of flats, especially on a road that's quite busy, I'd need to adapt the space in my bedroom. If you want to see what it looks like, I have got some photos over on Facebook. My Facebook page is Not Before Coffee Podcast. Anyway, I have a massive and really heavy dresser. I managed to move it over to the other side of the room, though my back has been protesting ever since. And someone said to me, didn't you take the drawers out? And all I could think was, uh, maybe I should have done, but I was trying to do it really quickly and I couldn't be bothered. So I moved it, I cleaned my room, I made everything ready, decided that my bookshelves also needed a sort and started that. So that was three days worth of work. If you've seen the photos on my Instagram, you'll know I have quite a few books. And then all that that was needed was the desk. Cue my dream that very night. I dreamed that I was still living at home and I haven't lived at home since I was 18. So we're talking traveling back quite a distance in time. And I used to share a room with my younger sister. Anyway, for some reason, we'd moved all our stuff around in the bedroom and my things were on her side of the room and her things were on mine. We've always believed in separation of goods because I had loads of books, which nothing has changed there anyway. And she always had loads of makeup. She would have a few books, but most of them she borrowed from me. And it was just everything was separated and I could quite clearly see my stuff in the dream was on her side of the room. So anyhow, I dream that I have to cross over into her side of the room and it's like something out of a war movie. There are coiled barbed wire reels around the room preventing me from getting into her side and all I wanted was a pair of tweezers. I have no idea what the tweezers were for. I have no idea why I wanted them or anything because this is a dream and dreams 
they don't tend to sort of spell out, here is your motivation for wanting something. Anyway, I crawl over the barbed wire with the help of my duvet. And when I get to the drawer where I'm sure my tweezers are, all of a sudden, loud noises, um, alerts go off saying, trespasser, trespasser, there's bombs, there's machine gun fire, and this loud hailer just deafening me. And I pull open the drawer where the tweezers are, and then I feel something cold in my back. And then, of course, my alarm goes off, and I wake up. So there's the dream. As I said, weird. It's um, it's no order than the last one I had about snakes in a clawfoot bathtub. However, it was pretty odd. War zone, bedroom, pair of tweezers, no motivation whatsoever. And as I said, I haven't actually shared a room with my sister for 28 years. Okay, shall we move away from the weirdness? I've said it before and I will say it again, this is not a podcast about politics. I think that political views are incredibly personal and I've got, though I've got nothing against people sharing them on social platforms if they feel comfortable. However, I don't debate on social media because I've seen how it can blow up badly and the idea of being in the middle of that kind of explosion, one that has far too many casualties, really doesn't appeal to me. I want to sort of keep my head down. I don't, um, when all the debates were going on regarding Brexit and the lockdown and everything else, I kept my mouth shut because I just don't want to get involved. And I know that everyone is involved if you're alive. You know, the saying, if you're alive, you're involved in politics. That is true because you're paying your taxes and you have your views, but it doesn't mean you have to share them on a public forum if you don't feel comfortable doing so. However, this particular topic is something that is very personal to me and has has been influenced by re- recent-ish political decisions about the UK health service because of the pandemic. And it was something that only came to light very, very recently for me and I needed to get it off my chest. And I figured that here was quite a good forum because some people will have some awareness of the fact that certain things changed in the NHS while this was going on, whether it's because they tried to get a doctor's appointment, they wanted to go to the dentist or anything else. However, a lot of people will not be aware that one of the things that stopped when the pandemic started and they started to close down wards in hospitals was chemo. I know that um, I mentioned in my previous episode that my mum was diagnosed with lymphoma. She was diagnosed about 13 years ago and since then she has had multiple treatments. However, at the end of last year, they found a um, a tumour in her leg. She Because it's lymphoma, it travels around the lymph nodes and there are some in the thighs and the hips and if you didn't know, your organs are all lymph nodes as well. Anyway, they found some, uh, they found a mass in her, several masses in her legs. So after they determined what it was and they'd done an operation, she started treatment. This time, instead of it just being chemotherapy on its own, they had her on a combination therapy, which meant once a month she'd go in for chemo and the combination therapy. And the following day, she'd go in for a further session of chemotherapy. It lasted for six months and we were told that 
it was um, this particular combination drug, this combination therapy was meant to be incredibly effective with her type of cancer and it would mean that her remission would last longer. However, her chemo finished the month of lockdown. In fact, I think her last treatment was actually at the beginning of March. So it really was incredibly close to the start of lockdown. And she was due to see the specialist at the end of March to go over her options, find out if the treatment had been successful and discuss what was going to happen next. However, all of this, all of the corona stuff happened. Her appointments were cancelled. They kept on saying they were going to arrange something by phone. But then everything changed and everybody who was working in whatever department was placed on the front line so they were no longer actually doing the jobs that they had previously been doing in the case of her chemotherapy specialist he was no longer working in the oncology department he was on call working on the wards so she didn't have her final consultation and we were we we basically just had to wait and we finally got confirmation I believe it was just after I think it was just after Easter that the treatment had been successful and that her the um the mass in her leg had reduced in size and everything was okay or as okay as it can be however this is where my feelings get quite close to the surface a few weeks ago, sort of middle of August, we've, um, my mum finally had an appointment with her specialist. And at that point, she was told that she had, she was supposed to have started a maintenance therapy that would last for 12 months following the end of her chemotherapy treatment. This maintenance therapy was the actual treatment that would mean she had a longer remission and that the treatment was far more successful however because she'd had to wait nearly six months between the end of her chemotherapy and her first appointment with her specialist she was no longer eligible for the maintenance therapy um q absolute fury on the part of every single member of my family because basically there was no need for them to stop this kind of treatment she was already right at the end of the treatment she was already at the point where she was supposed to start this maintenance therapy and I'm sure that there are other people in the same situation and she was told that because she'd already finished the main the um, main chemo it had been so long between the main chemo and the start of the maintenance that she wouldn't be able to have it at all if it had been, if she'd had a couple of treatments left, they'd have started the chemo all over again and then they'd have started the maintenance therapy right after. However, that wasn't to be the case for her. Okay, so I know that things had to stop for so we could treat people with, people with COVID. I actually have a friend, an ex-colleague who was in the hospital on life support for nine weeks, having had a couple of heart attacks, his kidneys failed um he was actually on breathing um, actually on breathing support and had been placed in a medical coma and then he had to have um further treatments following coming out of the being pulled out of the medical coma and being in hospital for several weeks obviously because of the heart attacks there there was no reason why they couldn't have um sort of 
requested the use of private hospitals for the use of continuation therapy. So people who needed to have chemo or maintenance or any other treatments that didn't require them to be in a hospital unit itself, why couldn't they have gone to one of these units and had these treatments? How many people um, who were undergoing this kind of therapy, maybe not as far along as my mum or maybe even further along than my mum, are now um, being told that we're really sorry, um, there's nothing we can do, it's too late because of this halt in their therapy. I know it's a really serious subject to bring up and I hope I'm not triggering anybody by talking about it. However, this is a personal experience that my family has gone through and I do feel that it is a question that needs to be asked. If you are somebody who's been affected by this in any way, uh, it's not a case of I'd be interested to hear, but I would like to know how you feel about it if you're feeling let down and wonder why there wasn't any option for you to continue your treatment, especially if you were at a point like my mum was, where now there's no going back. <sighs> okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. And that ends my little rant. I don't think it was a little rant. It was a bit of one, but I had to get it out. I know that in the scheme of things, this broadcast isn't going to change anything. You can't go back and change the past as much as you wish you could. Not all of us are Marty McFly with access to a DeLorean. However, it has made me feel just a little bit better to get it out there because I do think that people who weren't aware maybe needed to be aware that all of these things happened. I know that plenty of people have had cancelled dentist appointments or cancelled hair appointments, but how many people have been dumped in the middle of chemotherapy? It would not be interesting, but I would I would love to know what effect this has had on the lives of those who were depending upon these therapies to get through and if they are in a similar situation to the one that my family has now found themselves in. Okay, wow. That was just a little bit more serious than I normally like to be. However, it has been on my mind, and as I said, I needed to get it out there. So let's get back to our regular pro programming. As I record this, it's the August bank holiday weekend. Thank God, an extra day off work. Um, the weather is as expected. It's not fantastic. Rain with a bit of cloud and wind. However, I'm in the UK, so I'm not quite sure why I expected anything to be different. I am here to tell you I have some great news. Yay! In the last episode, I mentioned that I've been living on a nostalgia kick, that I haven't been able to get into anything new, and I've been struggling with finding anything that I really want to sit down and focus on. So read it. I've been reading a few books, but I've been mostly watching old TV shows if I've been watching anything at all. However, the nostalgia kick finally let me go. And okay, so as with everybody, there are moments when I quite like the idea of sitting down and watching something that has that musky, nostalgic aroma. You know, something I th I think, you no, know, I don't think, I know. I watched The Karate Kid this weekend and at the end of this week, we have got Cobra Kai starting. So thumbs up on that one and I'll probably get to talk about that in episode three. However, 
my nostalgia kick ended all because of the first episodes of Lucifer season five, which dropped onto Netflix last Friday. I just had to watch them. And though I didn't quite manage it in a single marathon because work was absolutely exhausting last week in that I was preparing for a few days off work and I was absolutely shattered. However, they were all done and dusted by 9.30 on Saturday morning. So it wasn't as though I waited loads of time to watch the rest of the season. Well, the rest of the half season. I have to be honest, I'm not a massive fan of most DC TV, mostly because I think it should have a limited run. And I do feel that Greg Berlanti has pushed it to the point where it's getting ridiculous. I did watch the first few seasons of The Flash and Arrow, but then the storylines got absolutely stupid to me. There were too many additional spin-offs and the crossover episodes, which you had to kind of watch episodes of programs you didn't want to watch in order to understand. So when it got to the point where I think last year they had um, Batgirl, Supergirl, was it Batwoman? I can't remember. Supergirl, um, Flash, Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. I know that even my mum, who loves all that stuff, said enough is enough. I'm watching this one and then that's it. I'm done. So this coming year, she's given up on Flash. She never really watched Supergirl. She wasn't massively keen on the idea of Batgirl, Batwoman. This just shows how much I watched them. And she's now literally sticking to Legends of Tomorrow because she finds it funny. And that's the only reason she's going to watch it. However, Lucifer is very, very different. There is something about the dark and sinister in every character that's on TV. I'm I'm the girl who prefers the Beast to Adam in Beauty and the Beast. I preferred Goliath when he was all growly in Gargoyles. I loved Bad Spike and I loved Evil Angelus. Is that a problem? Possibly. It may explain why I'm still sensibly single because I don't think that any of these would be the ideal life partner. However, that doesn't mean I can't enjoy watching their characters on TV or reading about them in books, either or. It's very clear that one of my favourite writers actually created or had a hand in the creation of this particular character, meaning Lucifer Morningstar, seeing as his character appeared in Sandman but also there is that specific religious bent to his character and to all of the characters in this particular based on a comic book series which has moved way beyond it and a fallen angel a son of God it literally not it actually does scream Neil Gaiman you look at Lucifer and then you look at Crowley from Good Omens and you can see similarities in the way that they express themselves. Something about the way that they inveigle themselves in the lives of people that they want to be important to. Okay, so Gaiman hasn't written the character of Lucifer that we see on the screen, but the character was created by him. Dark, sardonic, rebellious, everything about the way he questions motivations of the creator in this case his father is so familiar that if you've ever read Gaiman's novels you would immediately be able to see him leaping off the page anyway I'm going to now move away from Gaiman though I will be moving back to him in a few weeks and I'm going to start talking about the show though as I record this it's only been a few days since it aired and I don't want to give any spoilers just in case 
one of you hasn't seen it yet or this may encourage you to actually watch it. From the first minute, from literally the first minute it started, I knew there was something different about the main character. At the end of season four, if you've seen it, and sorry if I'm spoiling anything, as I said, no spoilers, but season four aired nearly a year ago, so here we go. At the end of last season, when you, when it literally ends on the point where he arrives back in hell on the throne, he's positive he's going to be there for the long haul. So when he suddenly appears at the beginning of season five, you know that something is up. There are a few things that are different about his character. He's got a few quirks that he didn't have previously. And if any of you are familiar with his character and you've watched the series all the way through from the beginning, in the UK, first three seasons on Amazon Prime, second lot of seasons on Netflix. But if you've seen any of them, you'll know that there is something very, very specific about the way he holds himself, about the way he smirks, smiles and carries himself. There's something about him that is very, very quickly identifiable. However, the person that arrives in season five, the first time you see Lucifer, there is something very different about him. And it becomes very clear to those who know him that there is something different about him from the, from the get-go. Of course, there is a twist. There's always a twist. And this one plays in, plays for the entirety of the eight episodes that we see. There is a considerable amount of character development and loyalty shifts, some of which are incredibly surprising and others not so much. For me, one of my favourite characters all the way through has been Maze. She is the one who's come the furthest in all the seasons that have aired so far. And in the very beginning, she was a demon who wanted nothing but satisfaction and death. She was serving her loyal to her master, i.e. Lucifer. And she was kind of his enforcer. She was the one who he would rely on if he needed backup. And in season five she grows more as a character she's witnessed her her boss find the one he's meant to be with she has been spending a lot of time with humans including Trixie Chloe's daughter and she has grown attached so what she really wants more than anything is a soul which is, for a demon, incredibly surprising. And then I say that and I was listening to, um, I listened to a radio show on Radio 4. Well, it's not on Radio 4 any longer because it's quite old. However, I watch a show on Radio 4 called Old Harry's Game. And there are strange similarities between Lucifer and Maze and the devil and his assistant and here is ray from the future just butting in to say the assistant's name in old harry's game is scum spawn yes scum spawn strange similarities between them listen to it if you get the chance because it is quite funny anyway back to maze and her character development her character in 
this particular season take something of a secondary role to the goings the rest of the goings on however her interactions with linda um and her desperation to fit in including a really funny episode where she tries to be all sweetness and light like ella um she wants to make friends and she um basically because she feels quite lonely and isolated she wants to make friends with people so she thinks oh ella's nice and sweet and light everybody loves her I'm going to be her clone, including the hair, the clothes which she bros from Ella's wardrobe. And if you've seen the comparison between Ella and Maze, Maze is quite tall and quite muscular and Ella is tiny and delicate. Anyway, it's quite an amusing episode to watch. But she realises at the end of it that this isn't who she is and that's not who she wants to be. She's herself. However, the developments that we see show that she is very different from the person, from the character the demon we saw at the very beginning. She is one of my favourite characters. She's not ashamed of who she is, though she does want to change. She plays up to her strengths and she knows that if she has an advantage because of her nature, then she will use it to get what she needs or to help the people that need her, whether it's for information, for power, or just as an enforcer. But having spent all this time with humans, it's not surprising that she does want to find out more about them and she wants to find out more about herself, which in this particular season has her going on a search for her mother, who is Lilith. And there's a a very, very touching episode where she realises where she came from and that it's not who she, it's not actually defining who she is. But that is another story for a spoiler episode, not for this one. Okay, (laughs) now we're going to get on to Chloe Decker. Every show has to have one. Not a Chloe Decker, but every show has to have one for me. And that is the most annoying character. Yep, I know she's the main character, main female protagonist. And just like Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, her bitching and moaning drives me up the pole. I know that she didn't ask for the situation she's been thrown into and she's expected to handle a considerable amount, including a revelation we get rather early on in the season about who she is and what she is to Lucifer. However, for me, it's the constant hot and cold. She loves Lucifer, but she can't be with him. He sacrifices everything for her and she can't keep away from him. She's annoyed by a revelation that he doesn't make and he has no control over. And all of a sudden she's cold and ignoring him again. I just wanted her to make up her mind once and for all, get it done, get it over and and get it done and dusted. It was so, for me, it was so much like every relationship that Buffy Summers had. It was that, I don't know. Oh, I love him. Oh, but he's been horrible. Oh, but I still love him. Oh no, get away from me because you've done this and you've done that. And it's like, oh God, you drive me insane. So she is my, I could do without her and... Though I know the story wouldn't be the same without her because obviously she's the main female protagonist, the love interest and everything else, she still drives me up the pole. And now we get to her daughter. Poor Trixie. (laughs) She gets such short shrift in the first part of this season. She's in two episodes, I think. And her part in both is so minimal that she could have easily been replaced by an animatronic dog. My question has to be, is this because Scarlett Estevez is no longer as cute as she was 
in the first three seasons. She's growing up, she's getting older, she's no longer the little gap-toothed girl with the slightly high-pitched, cute voice. She is closing in on her teens and it's showing. I mean, she's still a very, very pretty young girl, but it is showing that she is slightly older, so the cutesy element is no longer there for her. So I did, I have to admit that I started to wonder when I realised she wasn't in so many episodes, whether the reason behind it was because she is getting older as an actress. And maybe she wants to move on, who knows? Anyway, we know that there's only one and a half more seasons of Lucifer unless Netflix takes another step back, looks at it and goes, oh, actually, it's been a massive hit for us. Let's renew it for another season. At the moment, we've got one and a half more seasons to go. So maybe, maybe Chloe will have another baby. Who knows? Okay, so let's move on to Dan, her dad. Um, Since Charlotte's death, that's Lucifer's mother, he's become very, very new age and incredibly easily manipulated. He is, um, okay, so the manipulation thing touches very, very firmly on spoiler territory, so I'm not going to go into that very much. However, it is quite clear that he is he is incredibly hurt by Charlotte's death, but it's turned him into something very different. He all of a sudden has become new agey, he's um, healing stones, um, weird lotions and potions and everything else and it's it seems very very out of character for who he was in previous seasons you don't sort of think oh right well he's just lost the love of his life which we acknowledge he has done but now he's going to become this totally hippy dippy and that sounds really insulting but that is what he comes across as and it's very different for him and he's no longer sort of kind sort of a light a light element in the show that is lifting things up and making them a bit funny at times because before he was quite clueless and in some ways a little bit angry but mostly quite clueless okay so lucifer what has happened to lucifer he's finally accepted his lot or at least it seems to be that way because this includes his beloved chloe and for that, I, I really can't blame him. His character development in the in this season isn't as driven or as obvious as it has been in previous ones because he's almost reached the pinnacle of his development. And obviously, we were focusing quite a lot on Maze's development in the first part of the season because she has finally realised what she wants. However, it may well also be that the first part of this season hasn't been so driven towards his character development because the first part is about the setup. The first part of this season is about the setup, and the second part is about all the pins being knocked down. Unfortunately, we haven't got a release date yet. I really want them to give us a release date. Come on, Netflix, announce it soon. I know that they have um, since lockdown finished or sort of finished, they have finally started filming again and they still had the last bit of season five to film and finalise. So obviously there is going to be a bit of time for us to wait before the next part of the season comes out. For understand, It's understandable everything's been put on hold. I know that a lot of seasons of other 
shows that are starting in that normally start in the states in October and September aren't actually going to be starting now until January because they haven't been out of film for the last few months. So we're just going to have to we're just going to sit back, be patient and watch repeats. I mean there's plenty of stuff on and if you watch Netflix or Amazon or any other channel, any other streaming service, you're going to find there's plenty of stuff on there that you may not have seen for years or you've never seen before. I will say that with the last few episodes of this part of the season, you could feel the build up to everything. There was this kind of underlying tension in every single episode, little hints that something big was going to happen, a massive crescendo if you will, that signalled there was a mid-season finale surprise planned and they didn't disappoint. As with all good twists, and as I said earlier, there is one in this, this one literally, like season four's ending with Lucifer arriving in hell and sitting on the throne and that being it, this started with a massive fight and ended with a revelation just as the credits were about to start and I have never been so frustrated. I sat there, looked at the screen and the first thing I said to myself was, oh god are you kidding me? Really? That's how you're ending it? And of course with no release date as yet announced, it's that whole, oh no, how long am I going to have to wait? Because with so many shows I think a really good example is, I'm going to show my loyalty to really lame, t- lame programming now, but I like The Legends of Monkey. I grew up on the original Legends of Monkey as a child. It was on in the, eight, in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was really, really young. And it used to be one of the only programs we were allowed to watch, partially because it wasn't Grange Hill. We were not allowed to watch Grange Hill. Anyway... I enjoyed The Legend of Monkey and I enjoyed the remake. However, two years between season one and season two. Two whole years. And now I've got to watch the entirety. It sounds like such a sufferance. I've got to watch the entirety of season one again before I can watch season two because I have no memory of what happened in season one. So many other programs have come in between. So many films have been in between. I mean, if you think about it, I've watched the last three films of the MCU since I watched the first season of Monkey. And that's a lot. The length of those films together is almost the entirety of the se- the whole of season one of The Legends of Monkey. So I don't want to wait two years for the next part of Lucifer. Um, but as I said... There are plenty of other programs to watch, plenty of other films to watch in between. And of course, there's loads of books and stacks of podcasts. Okay, life updates. Yay! Not quite sure where to start with this one. When you work from home and have incredibly little social life, well, mostly because As I've previously said, I'm a bit of a hermit. And though I love having virtual meetings and talking online, I am not and never have been someone who likes going to parties or massive gatherings. They make me feel massively claustrophobic and give me panic attacks. I've always suffered from depression. Well, not always, but to be fair, 
the first signs of it happened when I was 11 or 12 years old. So we are talking three quarters of my life, if not more. Initially, the signs were connected to food. I'm, which is bad when I, when I tell you I'm not even five foot in height. Uh, I eat when I'm upset and stressed and anxious. And unfortunately, the majority of the foods that I like to eat when I'm in that state are not salad. Oh God, if it was salad, it would be so much easier, but it's not. I like eating chocolate, biscuits, ice cream. Not a massive fan of cake, but partially because I'm hugely allergic to egg whites. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. By the time I was 13, I was binging and purging. And I used to have a good singing voice, believe it or not. And I damaged my throat unnecessarily and it's my own fault however it reached such a point that I was passing out in classes at school and despite being constantly placed on diets by my mum from the age of 13 I still wasn't losing weight because I was a secret eater and then I'd binge and I'd purge and I can honestly say Anybody listening, I'm never going to encourage this. This is not a way of, a way to lose weight because A, it doesn't work. B, it's incredibly unhealthy and I have got so many health issues because of it. And C, this is the most important one. If you feel that this is your only recourse, please seek help. There isn't loads and loads of help out there, but talk to a teacher, talk to a friend, talk to a member of your family that you can trust, talk to somebody because you need some help. And since I was in my teens, I have been through cycles of depression. I have most of my depressive moods sort of manifest in a need to be alone. I have nights when I can't sleep, followed by weeks when all I do is sleep. There are so many symptoms when you have depression and people don't talk about all of them. They gloss over a few partially because they are far too personal or they're embarrassing. And I know it sounds weird, but they can be. Um, if you don't suffer from anxiety, it's possible you will never have been aware that anxiety can come with gastric symptoms. And they don't always happen at the most opportune moments. They're normally when you're in a stressful situation such as when you're in a room with a lot of people and there's no easy escape, when you're um, in a situation where you're asked a question and you just feel nervous because you're on, you're in the spotlight, it can be at any moment when you really don't need it to happen. Ray from the future again, just to point out where I say you here, I actually mean me. Not everybody is exactly the same and these are the instances that I have noticed for myself. So I mean me and I, not you. And of course then there are things like breathlessness. For me the, um, the breathlessness can get so bad it actually is painful and it's so anxiety inducing that I end up hyperventilating. In fact I've ended up before now three o'clock in the morning on the phone to 111 because I can't breathe properly and I feel sick and my heart is beating really really fast and I've got a headache and I'm sweating and the first thing I think is oh my god I'm dying and I'm on my own and there's no one else to speak to and you feel isolated and scared 
so you do what you think is the right thing half the time you think afterwards oh my god that was stupid I've been here before I know what it feels like but at the time that is the first instinct the first instinct is I'm dying and it's a horrid feeling even worse it it's it is even worse when you if you are like me you suffer from cyclical panic attacks and these are um something that occur when things are really stressful at least they do for me um either something's attacking my subconscious and i've been overthinking it i haven't been sleeping properly i've been overthinking something for an entire day and there's nothing I can do about it. And these cyclical panic attacks, basically they are 20 minute panic attacks, one finishes and the next one starts straight away and they can last for hours and they are terrifying because nothing stops them. It doesn't matter if you're meditating, go and take, go and walk around, have a shower, Um, go and read a book do anything to distract yourself nothing gets rid of them and it is literally a case of I've been I've sat up in the night because they've suddenly started for no reason whatsoever that I'm aware of and I can be staring out the window when the sun rises and I've been up all night and then you know that you've got to go to work the next that morning having had no sleep and feeling absolutely horrific I'm not telling you any of this for pity because I know from speaking with people in group therapy sessions and online that there are loads of people like me, people who suffer from anxiety, from depression, from OCD, from ADD and multiple other conditions or they know someone who does and as awful as it sounds you just have to live with it. You find coping mechanisms and hope that when you need it, there are people out there who are ready and willing to listen to you. And that is all you can do. That is, that is it. It's horrible, but that is the only thing you can do. Just hope that somebody is going to be out there who can listen to you, who is willing to listen to you and not judge. Because as awful as it sounds, there are still people out there who are never going to understand, not only because they've never been there, but also because they just don't have any understanding of mental health issues. And I've been there, my grandmother's like it, my mother's like it. The whole mental health thing is, it's not foreign to them, but it's the idea that somebody will have something wrong with them for no apparent physical reason. In fact, when I was first, um, I had a, a breakdown when I was 30, And the first thing my grandmother said to me was, well, there's no reason for you to be depressed. Your life is fine. And that was it. No understanding. It was just a case of your life is fine. Therefore, there's no reason for you to be this way. Uh, I hope you don't encounter that. I hope that you haven't encountered that. However, if you have, (laughs) I've been there. I understand it. And I'm sure that there are a lot of others who do as well. So... Let's talk about something just a little bit less depressing. I was going to do a book review. Mm -hmm. I was. I've read a lot of books in the last couple of weeks. Um, 
In fact, I've got three on the go right at this moment and I finished two yesterday. However, I saw something on Facebook that really made me a little bit cross and it made me think a lot and it was to do with books. I love reading and if you've seen my Instagram, there are loads of books on there that I've read. There are also pictures of my bookshelves that are nice and tidy and um, what I love about books is that they don't judge you. Anyhow, one of the things that I read on Facebook was about, was posted by someone who wanted to know why she had been told by someone that the book she was reading wasn't good enough. Now, it frustrates me that anybody can think they can look at somebody and what they're reading and judge them for it. So today I'm talking about book shaming. It's something I am very aware of, not only because when I was a teenager I was a victim of it and that makes it sound like, oh my god, victim of a crime. It's not, but I used to read, I used to walk home from school with romance novels folded over, my own copies, not library copies, folded over so I could hold them in one hand and walk down the road. I'm lucky I wasn't run over, to be fair, because the road I walked down was very, very busy. Not as busy as it is now, but it was incredibly busy. And I used to walk with my face in a book. And I'm talking, I'd cross the road with my face in a book. I did brain myself once walking home, walking back from the library to the bus stop but mostly I was relatively safe. I'm sure that I probably had near misses that I didn't even notice, but I'd walk home with a book folded in half and read and be reading. And people would go, you're reading a romance novel. And at the time I just thought, oh, well, I don't care what they think. And to be honest, I still don't. However, who do they think they are or who does anybody think they are when they look at what someone's reading and they say that's really bad why are you reading that that's for children or that's pathetic and I'm talking there are so many novels that people judge about I mean it sounds awful I have actually been guilty of it not shaming anybody else but shaming myself for reading something but then I read The Mister by E.L. James for an episode of Romances and Dead. And I never want to read another one of her books again. My judgment of it, my personal judgment, not of anybody else reading it, because if you want to read it and you enjoy it, that's fine. I've got no issue with it. My personal judgment, worst book I've ever read. And I wanted to skewer my eyes out at the point at the time I was reading it. It was, for me, horrific. It was nothing to do with who had written it. It was nothing to do with the cover, the title. It was the writing. It was awful, in my view. Other people don't think the same way. I'm not going to tell somebody, don't read this book, it's rubbish. If you want to read it, read it. The problem is, there are so many people out there, and I've seen so many examples of it. Why are you reading a children's book? A few years ago, more than a few years ago, J.K. Rowling's publishers came out with a set of Harry Potter novels with adult covers so older readers could read them while they were commuting. 
There should have been no need for that. Okay, so it was a bit of a money grab. But there was, should have been no need for it because you should be able to read what you want, when you want, without having somebody judge you for what you've chosen to pick up and take in your bag for an hour's commute or a 40-minute commute. It doesn't matter. There should be no reason to say to somebody, you're reading a kid's book. Personally, I love reading chiclet. I enjoy lighthearted stories with the funny bits, chapters that make me cry and the happy endings. However, I also enjoy reading Douglas Adams, Neil Gaiman, Tom Holland. No, not the Spider-Man actor, the author. He now used to write horror and now he writes um, historical... I wouldn't even say that they're not historical fiction. They're actually historical observation books. Like, I think he wrote... Well, I don't think he wrote. I know he wrote a book called Rubicon... I think that was the rise and fall of the Roman Empire and he wrote a novel about Atlantis and a few others that have been really well researched and fascinating however I don't think that the fact that I enjoy chiclet should be judged by anybody I don't think the fact that I've got Suzanne Collins and JK Rowling on my bookcase is reason to be judged And I'm saying that as someone who, (laughs) that sounds bad, I have a degree in English literature. I spent five years studying and reading the classics. And I read a lot of classics. I think over the course of the five years, we read something like 72 books, including the majority of the plays by Shakespeare. But that still doesn't give me a a right to judge somebody who enjoys reading um, Cassie Clare or... Stephanie Mayer or any of the other YA authors who focus who okay so they write their books primarily for a young adult audience but that doesn't mean you can't read them at any age there's no there's no age limit on enjoying a book so I do think that many people feel that they can look at the readers of the YA books or any other genre and judge them because they're not reading what is apparently expected. And I I think I was listening to a podcast a while ago and someone was talking about Ulysses by James Joyce and they were saying that people very rarely read a novel like Ulysses because they want to read it. They read it because they want the right to brag. And they're not wrong. I've read Ulysses didn't like it it's on my bookcase not to show off if, if it was on the bookcase to show off it would be on the bookcase in my living room it's not it's on the bookcase in my bedroom which no one comes into and the reason it's here is because I don't like throwing away books unless well I don't like throwing away books I threw I, I gave a few away when I moved house but I don't make a practice of giving away books or throwing them away at all because it just the idea of it is just not me I didn't read it so I could say I've read Ulysses whoop what difference does it make if I've read Ulysses I've I think that anybody who picks up a book and reads it just so they can say I've read this is not picking up a book that they're going to necessarily enjoy and a lot unless you're studying for your degree in or your exams in any subject you shouldn't be picking up books that you're not going to enjoy (laughs) 
that sounds no it's not you shouldn't be picking up a book you're not going to enjoy because book reading books when you don't have to read them is for pleasure it's not a chore and the more you make it a chore the more likely you are not to carry on doing it I've noticed a lot of people who've been saying things like oh I've just I need to find a book about this that and the other for work it's like that's fine if you're reading it for work but then you see these other people who are posting things like I need to find a book on making money for fun and that's when I start to wonder am I reading the wrong things are they just are they posting that they want to find this to read because they enjoy reading that kind of content or because they want to appear a certain way to the people they're talking to And that's what I feel about books like Ulysses, Anna Karenina, War and Peace, all of the really big books that have some kudos behind them when you say, I've read this book. So what? At the end of it, unless you've read it and you enjoyed it, why did you, did you, why did you read it? Sure, I can say when it comes to judging an author, well, judging a reader for liking a specific author, I think that you have to be really careful about your motivation. Okay, so from my perspective, authors like Cassandra Clare, Stephanie Mayer, E.L. James, they're not ones I particularly want to read. And I say that because I have read some Stephanie Mayer, I have read some Cassandra Clare, and I suffered through an E.L. James. However, this does not mean that I'm going to look at someone who is enjoying it and reading it and say, oh my God, that's really crap. Don't read it. This person may well be going through a really tough time, maybe their favourite book or English may not be their first language. What right do I have to judge them for reading something that I didn't enjoy? Because everybody is different. Sure, I can read these books and say, I don't like them, dislike the way they were written, thought they were awful. But that's my personal opinion and to force it on someone else is wrong. So I'm just saying here, my view is that book shaming is something that you shouldn't do. Nobody is in a position to judge somebody else's reading matter at all on any level. It's like judging somebody because they decided to paint their bedroom teal. And yet another visit from the future wow, I sounded angry at the word teal. And I actually like that colour. So perhaps I should have gone with sky blue pink or something else. When I moved into my flat, my bedroom was Barbie pink. What right? <laughs> Unless you're their landlord and you've said, no, you can't paint your, your bedroom teal. It's not your place to say what they're doing. Oh, I could go into this. Oh my God, I really could go into this loads more. And maybe at some point I will. But right now, I'm going to leave you with one thought on it. And that is, if everyone liked the same thing, the world would be a seriously limiting and really dull place. So book shaming, big fat no, at least from me. Okay, so that's it about <laughs> that's about it for this week. And good Lord, if I could actually speak, it would be fantastic. I hope you enjoyed listening to my random thoughts and maybe got to know a little bit more about who I am. 
I'm pretty active on social media, so if you want to follow me to find out what I've been up to between recordings or want to just come over and say hi, I promise I really don't bite. You can find me at need underscore three underscore mugs over on Twitter and not before coffee podcast on Facebook. I'm also Ray's Reading Room on Instagram if you want to check out photos of books I'm reading um, and pictures of my studio that's in my bedroom and obviously my bookcases. So um, I update on all three locations pretty regularly, though I'm more active over on Twitter than anywhere else. Um, I post about books I've been reading, episode planning, mostly why am I writing so much? And a lot of other podcast related stuff as well as talking about movies that I've been seeing and TV shows and everything else. The, the general kind of chatter you get on Twitter anyhow. But for now, I need another cup of coffee. So I'm going to head over and put the kettle on. And until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>